We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 313 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and joining me is Rafael Bamui from Mesque Un Podcast, my go-to for positive results. One-one uh, draw with Sevilla. That's what we're talking about today. So, Rafa, not only hello, but how you feeling about this result? I just want the feeling, the visceral. We're three hours after the match. What was your impression of the result? Before the match, I was, I'm always optimistic, but before the match, I thought I was being realistic. I didn't think, I thought Sevilla were the better team. This is before the game. I thought they, they, they've been the better team throughout the entire season. I know they had a few players out, but so did we. So honestly, I was, if we get out of the Sanchez Cruz one with a point, I'll be happy. But seeing how the game developed, I'm not happy. I thought we should have come out of Sanchez Cruz one with three points. I thought we were the better team by far throughout the entire game, even before Kunde's red card. So it's, it's, I honestly, I have a bitter taste in my mouth, in my mouth, because I think we should have, like Xavi said during the press conference, post game press conference, I think Barcelona were by far the better team to my surprise. And I think not coming out with the three points, it's, I'm not happy about that. Yeah. I mean, I share the same sentiment. I'm disappointed because Barcelona deserved the result. But I'm happy with a 1-1 draw in the rain at the Roman Pizuan. I mean, it's Sanchez Pizuan. Like, I'm fine with that because Barcelona were the better team. So, yeah, it's unfortunate that the result didn't kind of go the way the match deserved. But it was a weird match. It was, a, it was kind of not in a bad way. I thought it was a good match befitting two teams that should be fighting near the top of the Liga table. And I think Barcelona raised their level to what not Sevilla has been in the Copa del Rey because they've been a mess there. But what Sevilla has been in the Liga, I think Barca raised their level to that point. So the only one who really had this match get out of control was, I don't bring up referees very often, but Carlos Del Cerro Grande, I mean, yeah, not his best. Obviously the red card, I hope that Alba, I mean, we're recording this the night before it'll come out. So I'm hoping Jordi Alba didn't say something really inflammatory. That is my worry. So I don't want to defend Alba before something happens. But I will say if he didn't say something terrible that was completely out of line, then obviously Kunde's reaction was totally unmerited. He totally deserved a red card. And it is what it is. And that's why Sevilla were down by, by a man. But then even after that, I think Sevilla were just allowed to leave their, their feet in, leave the cleats in. And he, you know, that match kind of got away from him. And I think he almost settled for a 1-1 draw. 
right? And then Sevilla, as they went down one man, they also settled for the one-one draw. And with Barca having so much possession, it's more difficult to break down what became a low block from Sevilla. You know, and I guess those are the negatives of it that because the referee decisions, one major one went Barca's way, but the other, the other ones kind of broke up the flow of the match. So the second half was much, much uglier than the first half, because if Barca played in the first half, the way they played in the second, then they win that match as far as the flow of the match. That's, that's a problem that I have with referees that is that they're not consistent because if you let them play both teams and it is what it is. If you're very strict for both teams, then I get it. At least you're being consistent Whether I agree with if you're being lenient or not. And that that's another topic. But during that first half, to me, it's insane that Dembele got tackled from behind two times, one by Rekic. And I think the other one by Juan Jordano, El Papo. I don't remember. Yeah, I think but like, awesome, yeah. at least they should have been yellow at least. And they were like orangey at best. And neither one, they weren't like, they didn't show Sevilla, the referee, a yellow card. And then Busquets first, which I agree, was a yellow card. Then Busquets sees the yellow card and you're like, okay, fine. But what about the two nasty challenges from behind to Dembele that didn't end up being anything bad by a miracle, in my opinion? Well, I I think that's why the ref, that's why this match kind of got away from him. And that I, I, I was... Not saying I was fine with those not being yellows in the first half, but I understood that in the first half, yes, Busquets was a yellow, certainly, but I understand why he didn't want that match to be decided by a card. But once Kunde throws the ball at Alba and it becomes a red card, then that's thrown completely out the window. And a card has definitely decided that match, but a fair one that I think everyone's on the same page about. But then I think in trying to keep balance, because then Sevilla kind of went off their hinges at that point. Then he gave those yells to Gabi and Abde, and I actually had a bigger problem with those yells because those yells in the second weren't a yellow in the first. So that's what wasn't consistent about it. And I think then because the red card was thrown out to Sevilla, then he wound up missing one or two more from Sevilla. So I think by trying to be as balanced as he was and unbiased as he was, he winds up getting in his own way because the red card kind of changed what he was intending to do in the first half. So again, I'm not heaping on the entire match that he refereed, I'm saying that the red card kind of disrupted the way that he wanted to referee that match. And then his bias or, you know, trying not to overtly punish Sevilla created a little bit of imbalance that I think did affect the flow of the match. And then Sevilla played into that as they were defending for their lives with 10. So, I mean, do we want to do a positive? I have a positive for you instead of just the referee stuff. <laughs> Go ahead, real quick, because I want to be negative. I'm really about the ref real quick. The one that put me off, honestly, I ain't going to lie, was Rafa Mir's foul on Eric Garcia. Because that was after Kunde's red card. Yeah. And you could tell, and again, I, I completely agree with you. As of now, as we're recording this, we there's no reports that Jordi Alba said anything controversial to right. Kunde that made him snap. We don't know yet. Hopefully, that that wasn't the case. Yeah. I heard Julian Lopetegui's press conference, and he didn't hint of anything that happened regarding that. He just said that Jules has to be more better, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I just want to make that clear, like like you said. But after that red card, the one Rafa Mira on Eric Garcia, he intentionally like put his knee on Eric's, like, La Costilla, I forgot, uh, ribs. And he had to be taken out. Hopefully it's nothing serious. And you could you see the picture. The ball wasn't anywhere near him. Like he literally just need Eric Garcia and the ribs. And that to me, that was just like, this is just 
that was a dirty, dirty play. So I did have I, that one pissed me off too a lot. So I, I just wanted to get that out of the way. I know you want to be positive for no, now, no, I mean, but I just I just needed to get yeah, that out. It's a good for it's a good transition because I was frustrated that Eric Garcia had to leave the game at that point because I thought Eric and PK like that combination had their best match of the season defensively. I mean the numbers also back it up. Barcelona allowed zero chances from counterattacks today. That's huge. I mean, it just looks solid. And I think while I'm complimenting PK and Eric Garcia, and there's a reason I didn't even mention Araujo because we're going to do a whole segment on Araujo. So yeah, just, just to let everyone know, here's a quick rundown. We're going to do segments, entire segments on the, the set piece goals as well as Araujo and Dembele. We'll get to that. But in terms of PK and Eric Garcia, I actually think that their good performance today, I'm hoping that that also means I'm trying to compliment Xavi. Because I'm actually surprised how quickly Xavi put all this together. Like I had said when I broke down his tactics, here's some of the things he wanted to do. And I thought the press against Sevilla was good. To bring that line of confrontation into Sevilla's half and to be the dominant team against Sevilla for so much of that game is a credit to what Xavi has already put in the team. So I'm not sure if you want to call it, I mean, and this is up to you, Rafa, if you want to say that Xavi has instilled belief because you knew under Kuman that he had lost the team. It was over. It was done. And I think in hindsight, you know, it's probably unfair to Kuman, but in hindsight, we're asking the same question as when Ernesto Valverde was, was, was let go, it was five months too late or it was six months too early. You should have kept him. In the case of Kuman. Now already with this result against Sevilla, and it's it's still early for Xavi, so things could get ugly. But in hindsight, even after Elche and Sevilla, watching this team play, you go, oh, maybe maybe Kuman was held on a little bit too long. You're wondering why was he brought back this year when it seemed so inevitable that he was going to be replaced by Xavi in short order? And the answer, the answer could be easy, that Xavi didn't want to come over the summer and he came when Barca were more desperate. So, I mean, you could shut that down quickly. But that said, again, I think the positive from this match I take more than anything is that Xavi coached a team that was better than their opposition who were second place in the Liga on the road. In And again, the calls weren't necessarily bailing out Barca and they were on the front foot. And to me today, the biggest thing was over the last few, even Osasuna and Elche, the attack, even without Memphis and and. and uh, and Fati, goodness, he's hadn't played in so long. So Ansu Fati, even without those two, Barca's attack scored five goals in two matches. And you can say it's against Osasuna and Elche, but still, it's two matches in the Liga that Barca scored five goals. And you're like, okay, so Barca started to convert their chances. But today, the defense was at its best under Xavi, and it's best in months. I mean, months, months, they haven't been that good against a counterattack. So for Sevilla to have so few chances in open play... So it's a lot about the system that he's put in place, the confidence in Eric Garcia and the way that PK is, I guess, playing for his old friend. You know, maybe he's got that manager bump and then just how ah, I want to do it. But Araujo has been on the well, good. <laughs> so we'll get to Araujo. But yes, but just how great Araujo is as well. And then Alba doing his job and Lele coming on and being looking like a third center back, looking good, coming on, Lele being in the right positions and stuffing out those counterattacks. So, yeah, I mean, credit to PK, Eric Garcia and Xavi's game plan. If the, if the defense continues to be this good, three out of every four matches, and yeah, Barca are going to finish top four. That's another reason why Barca will finish top four. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, I mean, they, they, I completely agree. I, I know I've been, I've been very harsh on my podcast with Eddie Garcia, but today he was he was amazing. Same with PK, like that, that tandem right there. And at the end of the day, I think that that's why I was so mad when Sevilla scored from that set piece. That was an amazing finish from Papu, but they didn't do absolutely anything to deserve that. So I know football isn't about deserving or not. It's just about taking your chances and that's it. But if we're talking about deserving and not deserving, Sevilla didn't deserve absolutely anything during that first half to, to, to see them go up one nil. I was like, are you kidding me? This is just up to par with everything that could go wrong ends up going wrong with Barcelona this season. So because th that th we had that game completely under control. They weren't doing absolutely anything. The Rafa Mirgol was offside by a mile, so they played that perfectly as well. So they were playing great. And to me, it was because I think through against um, Elche, I thought I didn't like defensively how I thought Elche, if they had better quality before they scored the two goals, they could have done something. And then the oh, yeah. way like Lenglet, Eric, and Araujo defended the two goals that from Elche, I thought were horrible. So it was nice to see them bounce back in a way. I know PK was back in the starting lineup now, but it was good to see them bounce back against Sevilla. And I'll, the thing, one thing I'll say though, I, I don't want to put like a caveat or a negative mark on Barcelona's defense, but I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, a big journalist here, in, a sports journalist here in Puerto Rico, and he's like a huge Sevilla fan. And he, was, and he did mention that he thought he was surprised, negatively surprised on his end, uh, how Barcelona dominated Sevilla. And he was questioning if the big game that they had against Atletico Madrid a few days ago took a toll on them. Then a few days before that, they played 120 minutes in the Copa that they had to put some of the starters in to fix the mess. And then the, the it, it, I was surprised about because during the first half, I don't want to be like a meteorologist here, but like it was pouring during the first half. And to me, I was surprised to see how both teams, like Barcelona pressed better than Sevilla, but usually Sevilla, like Barcelona, were able to play out of the back comfortably. And usually Sevilla press up and press very well, making it very difficult for Barcelona. But they, it just seemed like they were like a step, like a, second or two seconds slower every time they try to press. Like, I, I hear that argument, but Barcelona are also missing 40% of their regular starters and regular players. So I, I know that Sevilla, I mean, it's also their own fault that they had to go 120 minutes in the, like, I guess, a third division or fourth division team in the Copa del Rey. That's on them. But I mean, Barcelona, every match for them has been so important and so huge this season. So whether it's been Fika surviving in the league or whatever it is, Barcelona have 
so many less players. I mean, Sevilla is such a deeper team right now, healthy. So I just, I can't like, I, I, I and while it is boo-hoo and the other side, you could quickly say that, I mean, Barca is so injured. Like, I mean, yeah, Easy Abde has been, we have positive things to say about Easy Abde and, and, and Ferran Jukla, but in the long run, we haven't even spoken since Zugla scored that goal. I mean, I haven't had a podcast since he scored against Elche. But I mean, I came in and Abde has been a bright spot. But again, I heard like one little rumble of a rumor that Abde was a good player, that he was this, that he had high potential. He was a good dribbler. Even, I mean, when he was playing for Hercules, when he was linked with Madrid and Barca's academies or whatever. But Zugla is a, I mean, he chose to come to Barca B for more money from Espanyol B, but there's a reason why he was never called up to Espanyol's first team. And he's thrown into the starting lineup against Boca Juniors, scores a goal, impresses in that one, and now he's starting for actual FC Barcelona two matches in a row. He gets the header goal. But where Ferran Zucla fits in this team next year or the year after or wherever his long-term future, I mean, he may just be breaking case of a brace glass in case of emergency right now at this very moment. So it's like, we're as Kool-Aid is trying to be positive, Abde and Shukla, but if this team was healthy in any way, they'd be playing with Barca B. They, they wouldn't even be sniffing the first team if, if, if not for all of the players that are missing. Because Shukla didn't even come up until Memphis, right? So it's not like he was impressing Xavi anywhere else. And then that Boca Juniors friendly took it over. So again, we're trying to be uber positive with these young players who are earning and deserving their spots. Because yes, I would do the same thing Xavi's doing. With his movement from Jugla, I start him over Luke de Young, obviously. They move the ball better. They were just bars are better with a player of that profile. And it's why I keep going to the fact that Xavi plays profile over position in the squad or position in the team or whatever. And so this is what he wants. So he goes to that player. But yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I can't really, again, I'm, I, I, my heart does not empathize too far for almost any other team in the Liga just because of the sheer injuries that they've had. And no. you're right. Prior to that, Barca were 10-1 in shots prior to the goal. So, I mean, it's one thing to be off it a little bit, but Sevilla were completely dominated by Barcelona. So give a credit, give credit to Barca for being the better team. There. <laughs> no, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I don't feel bad for Sevilla whatsoever. And I, I was having this conversation <laughs> well, with my, you to text your friend. I'm saying like, just transcribe all of that. And we're going to text him. We'll, we'll send no, it. Over. <laughs> I don't feel bad whatsoever. And I was telling him exactly that. Like we're playing with Farranjo Gla and easy Abde up front. Just let that sink in. Jutgla and Abde. The, the, thing, the reason I brought that up was mainly because I was so surprised how ineffective Sevilla's high press was and how, e how easy Barcelona were able to get out of it. I don't know if like the excessive rain had anything to do with it, but I, they just seemed, again, everyone coming on, uh, on the show with why you think it's the reason because I don't have the specific answer. I was just pleasantly surprised as a Barcelona fan to see how Sevilla's high press was so ineffective and we were able to get out of it when other teams that are of Sevilla's profile, Sevilla are one of the better teams in La Liga, they've been able to press us way more effectively than Sevilla were able to do today. So I was like, and I was just trying to find like a logical explanation, which I don't have, well, I have a, a specific answer. I have a guess and it's going to transition to Rajo a little bit. Where And the reason why Xavi defended Ter Stegen as harshly as he did, because not only has it been Twitter or wherever, where Ter Stegen's been under 
heavy criticism. The Spanish media has also heavily criticized her saying at the moment. So that is all over. And it is, you know, there's one thing for you and I or people on Twitter to be criticizing a certain player or whatever. And it's a one thing for it to get to Xavi's desk in a press conference, right? And so the, the, the criticism for Ter Stegen for the last now few weeks even has been real. And Xavi is hearing it and responding to it now in press conferences. That said, for Ter Stegen in this match, yes, he misplaced six passes, but his passing was really good. And all six of the passes that he misplayed were long balls. So he didn't misplay a single pass. He was perfect within 20 yards of his own net, meaning he didn't give away the ball a single time in a, an unfortunate spot for Barcelona. And even on his long balls, he was four of 10 today. And many of the ones he gave up were on the wing that were 50-50 that were, if they do complete it, Barca are completely off to the races. So those are the kind of risks that Xavi wants him to take. And that's why Xavi defended Ter Stegen because he said the way that his team wants to play, again, the combination of PK, Busquets, Garcia, and Ter Stegen. I mean, there's a worry yeah. with that foursome. However, if they play the way they did today with that line of confrontation is in Sevilla's half of the field, then and they break, they just play, they pass right through the press. There's not much that they can do. What surprised me today, though, was that Sevilla didn't do what was it Osasuna did very well against Araujo, where even Araujo is at right back. Osasuna said, This is the guy we're going to give the most time and space on the ball, and we're going to dare him to make a mistake. Osasuna did that, and they got a draw. Sevilla didn't seem to do that. They, they, they tried their best to build to that right side, to Papa Gomez and Rakitic, and force Dembele to come back and recover. But Dembele did that job today. Four ball recoveries for him. And Araujo defensively couldn't get by him today. Sevilla had no shot with Papa Gomez or with Rakitic or with the compost when he tried to go on the right side or Barcelona's run on the right side, Sevilla's left side. But even again, their press was not hounding or in any way putting that pressure on Araujo. And so he was never really tested today. And if a team isn't going to test Araujo, Gar- Pique, Garcia, and even Ter Stegen and Busquets, they're going to pass right through you. And so that's why I think Sevilla's pa- uh, press today wasn't very effective because they weren't putting pressure in the right spots. They were trying to put the pressure on Ter Stegen and Eric Garcia and Pique, and they got through it just fine. Yeah, I completely agree. That's Barcelona's quote-unquote weak spot, like playing the ball out of the back, is that right side if Araujo's going to play as a right back because between him and... Dembele, Dembele has his pros and his cons, but Dembele loses a ball a lot. So if you know how to press that side, you can do damage to Barcelona. So again, to me, I, I want to be positive. I'm always positive. I want to be optimistic. But I was just so in shock how bad Sevilla were because of what Barcelona did and also some quote-unquote enforced errors in what you were saying, how to me they just pressed incorrectly that I just want to see how what percentage can be attributed to Barcelona, shall we? And yeah. what percentage can be attributed to like, damn, look, but they and the players got it wrong. So yeah, I don't I, think I, I just want to be cautious. I don't think Lopetecki got it wrong, though. I think you could see him from the sideline today. And, it, it, you know, <laughs> it's, it's always telling the number of times that the, the, the overhead camera goes to the managers. And so, yeah, you saw some emoting from Xavi. He's, you know, he's standing. He's very intense. And you're always going to see it. That's a kind of manager that he is but Lopetegui I mean he was losing it he was popping off constantly in that match so I think the players were severely getting something wrong and he told them and instructed them to do that and for yeah maybe for some reason that Papu Gomez and Rakitic are both in their 30s I mean maybe they just can't do that as much anymore maybe Juan Jordan who has been the Iron Man playing so many minutes for Sevilla just didn't have his legs today I mean you could tell coming in from the bench with an 18 year old and a 22 year old for Sevilla so I mean as much as I say depth I mean, the teenagers that they threw into this game, or at least the one teenager they threw into this game, 
I mean, obviously he's not anywhere close to the stratosphere of Gabi and Nico uh, as far as potential and, and high level. Does, oh, I, let's do the Araujo thing now because you brought him up. We talked about it. We talked about the one continued worry about him and is that if if the other team set up their press properly to force him to make a mistake, then they're going to come the other way and put Barca under pressure and Barca has to be prepared for that. But Araujo as a right back is what has got people saying, you know, the P name. And I think this is the first day because he's playing right back where you start to say that is Araujo feeling like a 22 year old Puyo at the time. I mean, it, it, it's starting to feel like that. And I, I want to say like, you say a name like Iniesta, like Xavi, like, I mean, Messi, we don't, we don't say that, name. but Xavi, Iniesta, Puyo, even, I mean, you could even say Abidal, right? Or I know Danny Alves is still on the team, but you, every other right back is Danny Alves. You compare him that way. And then every pivot is going to be Busquets for the next 20 years. And you have that weight of that name. But Araujo, I mean, PK's, I mean, Puyol's now been gone for seven years. And this, I think, not to say this match, <laughs> and yeah, the tier for Puyol, but this isn't necessarily the match that has made us think this, but it's terms of a player who is a center back, who can also play it right back when needed, who passing is definitely not his forte, but you have to have him on the field because he is the best defender. Unlike Puyol, Araujo is a bit faster, but as far as being dangerous on set pieces, along with PK, he's the best, and he's Barca's best defender. So I, I think the name Puyol has got to start to be spoken about because, I mean, yeah, you could say PK was Barca's best defender for the last seven years, and I think that's, he think he deserves that. PK does deserve that, right? But now you have Barca's best defender this year being Araujo being more similar to Puyol. So I think that's why that name is being said. And 22-year-old Puyol and 22-year-old Araujo, I think that is completely fair. We are not comparing, I'm not comparing 22-year-old Araujo with 30-year-old or 28-year-old Puyol. I'm not doing that. I'm comparing 22-year-old Araujo with 22-year-old Puyol, and this is a completely fair comparison. No, I agree. And look, everybody that has two eyes on their face, we all know Araujo's, at the moment, deficiency, which is playing the ball from the back, passing the ball. He's not great at it. We get it. Hopefully, he gets better at it. But that's his con. And then his pro is just that he's a man, an amazing defender, a physical specimen. He's really fast. So it's not like he's one of those typical defenders that's just strong and slow. He's super duper duper fast. And then you add the cherry on top that on set pieces, something that Barcelona for the most part lack more often than not, which is in a, an aerial threat. He is becoming such a force to be reckoned with on set pieces because not only does he have that like oomph that he he knows how to move around the box that said he he he's becoming Sergio Ramos-esque and when the that Barcelona have a set piece or it's a foul a corner kick he can pull the rabbit out of the hat because he just had we know that he was a, a center forward when he was younger and whatnot but he just has that tactical IQ intelligence of knowing where to go, how to move around, how to like go fake, go one way, go the other. He physically, he's fast. He can jump. He knows how to head the ball because I'll compare him to like Langley. I think Langley, when he, he has that like smell where to be, but then when he has to make contact with the ball, usually he just sends the ball over and whatnot. Araujo knows how to put the ball in the net. So that's the more difficult part. And then when Araujo, to me, Fernando is a, Fernando is a tank. 
He's a physical specimen. And yeah. I know Araujo had a, had momentum because he had a, 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 a head start. So he was running. Fernando was just like not running. He just had a jump. But they both jumped. Araujo clashed. I mean, Fernando clashed against Araujo. And Fernando was sent back because yeah. of Araujo being such a physical specimen. And they, it wasn't like Jordi Alba bounced off Araujo or Oliver Torres. It was freaking Fernando, who's a tank. So it's just, it just goes to show how Araujo, like, it's so refreshing to see that finally we can just throw something up in the box and yeah. Araujo can make something out of nothing. Well, yeah, I mean, and for Barcelona, I think a positive, I, I don't know how much we could take from this because set pieces are just, you know, they're not, other than Messi's free kicks, they're not something you really rely on from game to game. But Barcelona now scoring their second goal in a row from a set piece after the Jukla header against Elche. I don't know when the last time that Barcelona scored in two consecutive games from corners. I mean, I, I don't even, I mean, I don't even know how I could look that up. I, mean, I could look it up. I could do my due diligence to look it up. But I mean, the answer is a long time. It's been, I mean, unless you're counting free kicks, I'm just talking corners. I don't know when the last time they scored in two games, consecutive games from corners. It's been quite some time. It could have been last year. But yeah, the Araujo corner was just him going up just being the bigger man and just putting the ball in the back of the net. No doubt about it. I want to say on the other side of that, Dembele though, his crosses today and his, his finds on corners. I mean, you're saying negative. I think, I mean, I thought it was positive. I think the, 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 the in-swinging ball that he hit for Araujo to head into the net was on a dime was perfect. I mean, that was the target found his target and hit it. I don't want to do. Okay. Before we do Dembele, can I, can we just do the, the set piece goal for Sevilla? I want to do that one first before we will wrap up the set piece segment. So we talked about Araujo's goal. On the other side, I don't think that I need to galaxy brain this and say that it's some larger indictment of Barcelona. I think this is a moment where Papu Gomez going around the whole mass of bodies with easy Abde on him, making the 10-yard sprint. And then, you know, it was a really good finish. It was a really good touch to find the one part of the net that Ter Stegen, not only could he not see, but didn't have time to die for. So one to the Ter Stegen haters on this goal, you know, you can miss him with that because there was nothing he could have done about it. And then he didn't have any other chance in the game to even affect the game. So I think Ter Stegen, we just, it's a null today that the haters who hated him before today are going to keep hating. And those who try to defend him are going to see defending him. So not, the, the, the needle did not move the bolsa. The stock did not move for Ter Stegen at all today. But easy Abde, that is, I mean, you don't even need a whole team to watch that set piece. Like that is one where you take a, again, a 19 year old who's playing in Barca, uh, for Barca B a month ago. And Xavi sits him down and says, hey, this is a smart player. You've got to be, you've got to orient your body where you're prepared for that sprint and you're fast enough to get to that spot. He beat you to the spot. He scored a goal because he's got a great touch and the game is one, nothing to them. And that's all. I mean, that's the, it's a quick learning experience for one player. And I think the only other thing that everyone else can ascertain from that and, and, and why I kind of defend Bars on that set piece is these are players who are playing together for the first time, because by substituting PK back in for Eric Garcia, you again have a new starting 11 for now that 11 is now playing together starting for the first time ever because Jukla obviously started now his second match in a row. So I could see how the right, the, the message was not delivered to the now 20 who turned 20 last Thursday, the 20 year old winger 
while you're worrying about the 22-year-old who's playing in his second start ever for Barcelona, as you're also worrying about the 17-year-old Gabi who is standing only 5'6 or 173 centimeters, right? <laughs> so I understand how if you're PK, you're looking around going, oh, I've got a lot of young heads to worry about against a very experienced Sevilla side who took something from the training pitch, a little bit of, yeah, that short corner that was intended for Gomez the whole, I mean, for Papu Gomez the whole time. So I take my hat off. I tip my hat off to say, Sevilla, hey, you brought it from the training pitch. You took advantage of young players. And I hope that Barcelona learned something from that. And then for Barcelona to have the resolve to then tie the match up right before halftime, to me, that, that again, the goal from Barcelona, I take much more positive in, in, in poo-pooing how Sevilla scored their first. No, I, I agree. And the thing is, even before that, I know Barcelona didn't have like a clear, clear goal-scoring opportunity. But Barcelona seemed like the team that were inside Sevilla's area, trying to like, even Juglaha, like, like I think it was a record. Like, we shot like 15 times or like 10 during the first half. Like, the intention of trying to be aggressive was clearly there. Like, Juglaha had a bunch of shots. Uh, whether they ended up technically on goal or not that's that's another thing because that to me that's that's statistic like oh zero shots on goal five shots on goal like you can literally be in front of goal clear goal scoring opportunity and you send that over the bar and it technically is not a shot on target so to me that's just different so we were very aggressive like abde was aggressive Gabi was aggressive. Dugla was aggressive. That I completely agree with everything you said. And that's why he's playing ahead of Luke de Jong. That, obviously, Dugla is not going to be our starting nine or even the backup to our eventual starting nine. But as of right now, he just offers way more things than Luke de Jong the way Xavi wants to play. And I'd rather see right now 100 times out of 100 Dugla instead of Luke de Jong because whether it was helping Barcelona get out of Sevilla's high press, he would come down, that he would be an outlet, and he would one touch open up play to either flank. He will be making runs to the space. He just seemed aggressive. That's how, that's what I liked. So, again, I, I just wanted to highlight that about Jugla, especially during the first half, because I think it was so undeserved that Sevilla went ahead 1-0 right. that, to me, Barcelona, the way I've been critical when I think we haven't played well under Xavi, To me, I think we were hands down so superior to them that being like tied at the half was an unjust result, in my sure. opinion. So, I, okay, so let's, I mean, we're going to end this with a little bit of a thing about, you know, kind of preview, trying to preview the second half of the season, sure. But I, I think even previewing the second half of the season, I'm, by the time this comes out, news about Dembele's renewal or lack of renewal might come. So I'm, I'm hoping that Dembele has chosen to renew. I honestly, I'm in the camp that I, I think even as an asset, even as a financial asset, you renew him anyway. And I mean, if he wants to force himself out over the summertime, well, then that's his prerogative and Barca then can cash in on that. Or even in January or next year, whatever it is at 24 years old, Dembele for what, what he can do almost any other team in the world would take the player, the raw player, because again, like, so like so often in like romantic comedies, when the girl says, Oh, look at the bad boy. I can fix him. Right. I think every elite club in the world is going to look at Dembele and say, Oh, I can fix, I can fix that. I can, I can work with that. But my question about Dembele and Sevilla is how can we criticize Dembele in the way that he was criticized, at least online where I saw, I know, People are going to hate Dembele no matter what he does because they're they're just finished with him because it's been five years. But I mean, it's hard to stomach. Yet, if not for Araujo, 
Dembele in a match between Sevilla, who is second place team in the Liga, and Barcelona, Dembele was the best player in that match alongside Araujo. And so how can people be so angry with Dembele when, I mean, I can you can give a counter-argument, but I have the stats for you. It's not only the assist, but he was perfect three for three on long balls, created five chances, four key passes, five shots, four ball recoveries. And I, I know I said that pretty quick, but Dembele did exactly what he was supposed to do in his second straight match. He was terrible against Osasuna, and I was pretty clear with that. I mean, he was bad, and he knew it, and Xavi knew it, and everybody knew it, and you could see the frustration. But just like against Elche, he was good. He was the impact player. He was the one who was going to shift the balance. If And if that ball goes in and doesn't hit the post, that was the moment of the match because all those people that were yelling about how bad Dembele was, they don't say anything if that ball goes in. And I know it's a big thing about if, and you're right, we're talking about results, we're talking about goals, we're talking about three points or one point. But for Dembele, I don't understand how those few inches, and this is the whole point, that I don't understand how those few inches on that ball hitting the post are the difference between him being good I mean, him being bad and him being the man of the match. Because, I mean, I, he was just, he was fine. He was good. He was doing what he was asked to do. And even the, the criticism about the eight goals and eight, uh, zero goals in eight matches. I mean, that's not, again, that's not what he's being asked to do. He's being asked to create chances. And he created five chances, four key passes. So, I, I mean, I, I, I'll give it to you because I also, I do have the issue, like the big issue, the big number that needs to change that I, I omitted on purpose so that I could set you up for this. But <laughs> please fall into my trap. Rafa, please. No, the thing is with Dembele, I think he's like pickles in a ha- on a hamburger. Like either you love it or you don't. There's no in between. And to me, I think I've been critical of Dembele when I think I should have been, and very positive when I think I should have been. And in my opinion, he didn't have such a good first half, but to me. He was really, really good during the second half. Whether you want to attribute, in my opinion, that he didn't have a good first half. Like I said, during the first half, it was pouring. So, and it wasn't just like the pitch, the grass was like it had a little bit of water. Like it was pouring. So for a speedy dribbler like Dembele, it was a little bit harder because like there's patches of water. So the ball gets stuck in it. It's, It's a little bit more difficult. Plus he was literally, it was two on one. Every time he got the ball on the flank, he was being covered by two people. So I think that, honestly, I think the rain and how the, the pitch was played a little bit of a little bit of part of it during the first half. During the second half, it wasn't raining as much. And I think we saw very more, more fluid Dembele. And by far, he was, and that's the thing with Dembele. He's just anarchy. And again, that's why I made a face when you said about the crosses. I think out of 10 crosses, Seven, for the most part, are horrible. But then three of them are amazing pinpoint how they should be, and they end up with a goal, being the recipient of a goal. So it's it's just Dembele is an acquired taste, like I said. So it's just hard to judge Dembele because there's so many outside factors like him, quote-unquote, coming in to replace Neymar, which it's blasphemy. And his injuries and blah, blah, blah. And I think that shapes people's opinion on him that we're saying that if he never liked Dembele, if you were a very pro Neymar and you're just mad that Neymar left and Dembele came in and then you had all the injuries and whatnot, then you're going to use any of the cons that he clearly has because he's not perfect. He's very raw still. And you're going to criticize him and you're not going to like him. But if you, if you see the potential in him, 
you do agree that he's still raw. The concept of how Xavi wants a winger to play, it's obvious that Dembele doesn't know that yet, whether he stays at Barcelona and eventually learns remains to be seen. But if you want to be positive, you just see it's a diamond in the rough. And you just think of the possibilities that if he stays, I know there's a bunch of big ifs, if he stays, if he stays, and he stays healthy, the possibility of what Xavi could turn him into It's 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 mouth watering. So I get everybody. If you want to see the negative side, I completely understand. And if you want to see the positive side, there's a very 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 high ceiling yeah. with him. It's just well, it's what it is. I think it's. I mean, I'm trying to talk to about Dembele in a more nuanced approach. Where I think when we talk about the likes of PK and I mean, not really even Busquets, but just like PK or even Ter Stegen, where. Because we've seen them play, what, Ter Stegen's played 200 times for Barcelona or something like that? or 300. I think 300. that was, yeah, that was yeah. his 300. Yeah, he just did 300. Right. So he's, Ter Stegen's, we've seen him 300 times before. And so just like with PK, what PK is and it is a culmination of all of the years prior to, and it's culminating in the player that we know. So it takes a lot for us to... Well, for PK in, in particular, it takes for a lot of good things for him to do for us to say, oh he's back to his best. And it takes a lot of wrong for us to say, oh, he's, well, I'm saying sensible people. Of course, there are people who are knee-jerking every every minute. But for PK, he has to have a sustained amount of time before we go, oh, he's in a, in a slump here. Even Ter Stegen, this was the first time, I think, where you're seeing sensible people say he is not his best. This is the worst Ter Stegen has been in years, right? In his 300 appearances, we've now seen, you know, Uh, what five of it you know he's had really really bad matches the big ones you know where I'm blah, 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 blah. but Ter Sagan's in a run of form that's not great for him in comparison to those are 300 games and I think when we do that for the older players that's one thing and then for Ferran Chukla who's made two appearances I'm going okay how did those two compare against each other right and then with Abde who's been around for a month I go okay what is this match in comparison to the other ones right on average Abde is, has 6.7 successful dribbles over per 90, which is best for all U21 players. But that's still only a month of data. So let's see what Abde is over the course of a year or two. Same thing with Gabi, where Gabi last match, like he's playing as a false nine. And same thing with this one. And he's changing his positions. And Nico, Nico this year has, he started in bad form. Then he got in great form and now he's on the bench coming off and still in good form as a bench player. So he's played three different ways, if you will, or had three different runs of form just this year. And Nico's making his first season with the, the first team. So I'm comparing each game is a, a new breath of fresh air for these young players. Dembele at 24 is seen as this old player. And it's useful to me to say, look at what he did against Osasuna. That as a, as a monolithic game was bad. And here's why it was bad. Why went Dembele didn't make sense. But Dembele, I continue to try to do this because I want Barcelona to win. I want Barcelona to be successful. I want Dembele to be successful. And I think if you have that desire, then you can say, okay, yes, I understand his cons. And here's when his cons hurt Barcelona in a game like Osasuna. And then a game like today where he lost the ball 25 times. And here's, that, and here's the big number I was, I was mentioning. Even today, when he was arguably the man of the match, he did lose the ball 25 times, many of which were not in position to hurt Barca because he's being asked to do so many things. So of those 25 times he lost the ball, the five, five of the times he didn't, he created big chances for Barcelona. Well, not actual, you know, big chances in the, with, the, with the actual uh, italicized, but he did create five chances. And four of the times of, you know, out of the 29 times he had the ball, four of those were key passes, and then he lost at 25. Uh, obviously, he had more touches than that. 
Uh, but the number that we want him to get to, and you know, I do a lot of basketball work. And so turnovers is the thing that coaches, every time I interview a basketball coach, the first thing they come over to, they look at their thing, even in a win or a loss, they look at their turnovers. And if it's between whatever the coach wants, if they're an up-tempo team, it's got to be between 15 and 20 at the, with the level that I, that I, that I work with. But if it's, but if they're a slow team and they turn it over 20 times, then the coach is coming over. And that's the first thing they're going to say, win or lose. For Dembele, we need that number to be closer between 11 and 15. When you look at Sterling, Leroy Sané, Kinsley Coleman, when you look at Dembele's contemporaries, and I mean, the way that Barcelona puts so much pressure on him is a big part of this too. I think that number immediately goes down when Ansu Fadi is on the field because Ansu's turning it over. Like Ansu, we want him to turn it over 11 to 15 times. No, you don't want that, but you expect him to create as many chances as, as Fati will. We expect him to turn the ball over between 11 and 15 times. And if Dembele, who's getting less touches, is also turning it over 11 to 15 times, then that's a good balance. And that probably means that Barca have created enough chances for them to win the game. And they've also held on to the ball enough where they're not exposing their defense. So for Dembele, I think just like with Frankie de Young, under Xavi, I think Dembele is a work in progress. And if he renews, I am not really going to have a referendum on neither of the 24-year-olds until next season. At the, at, well, I, I think it's fair to say next season for them because they'll be 25. Thank you so much for mentioning, because we seem to forget that the potential of Ansu Fati on the left, Dembele on the right, we haven't seen that. And that was a big what if of Barcelona this season that sadly we haven't gotten to see because Ansu came back and got injured and hasn't. And then Dembele came back after it. But for whatever reason, we haven't been able to see that. So when Ansu, hopefully, when Ansu Fati is back, they're both fit starting with Pedri as well because that's going to take a lot of load of Dembele because for good or bad, he's being asked because we need him to right now because of the situation to do to basically be our offense right now. So he needs to do more things and spots that maybe Xavi would want him to like right now. And I think Xavi, Xavi even mentioned that during the, the post-game pressure that there's certain situations he didn't say any names, but I think Dembele could fit into what he was saying that there's many instances. And again, Abde could very well fit that. What Shai was saying that there was many spots where say like the, the, the Barcelona player going up against Sevilla's defense, there were like three Sevilla players. There's spots where to take on players and there's spots when not to, if you see that you have three players in front of you, maybe the best option is to switch play to the other flank to try and find that quick space. And Chevy mentioned that. So I think if you think about it, that very might well apply to the two wingers. So when Dembele also hopefully learns how to do that, when Ansu Fati is back, that takes a lot of pressure out of Dembele because that way, teams, you got to pick your poison. You can't double team Ansu Fati and Dembele. And on top of that, Worry about the middle of the pitch with Gavi, Frankie, Nico, Pedri, Busquets, whoever ends up playing. You got to pick your poison. And that, when hopefully everybody's fit, and then let's say if a Cavani comes, you got a real uh, uh, forward up top. If Ferran comes, wherever he ends up playing, opposing teams have it a little bit easier right now. But hopefully when everybody's back, opposing teams will have to pick their poison. And when they choose one, 
hopefully oh. Barca will be able to punish them. Yeah, and tactically, that's the big difference between Fati and, and Abde. That Abde, in a vacuum, is playing well for what he's being asked to do, and the opposition isn't really double-teaming him very often. Occasionally, I, it was in the second half, I think, of Osasuna, when he was double-teamed. Yeah, he was. He scored the goal, and they started to double him in the second half. And But usually, just like today against Sevilla, teams are generally not doubling him in a way that Ansu is automatically doubled. And Dembele commands the same respect. And so you're right, that it becomes a numbers game, and Xavi's whole system, his whole belief is about numerical advantages. And so you mentioned that, the Dembele today, why another reason I say he was good, he was three for three on those balls that were switched over. He made the decision correctly, and then he also hit the pass three of three times. So, okay, last little point here before we go too long in the show. Barcelona head into the new year at seventh in the table in the Liga. However, with, uh, I don't know, Atleti's lost three straight, but if Atleti do win tomorrow... They're in fourth place and Barca's four points off of fourth place. And I was talking to Mike even a few days ago. And it's funny that a draw, 1-1 draw with Sevilla would change my mind after this. But after, but talking to Mike Crimmins on the, la- on the last podcast, that fourth place is so dire. Even with Atleti, Real Betis, Rio, and Real Sociedad and Barcelona. So five teams fighting for two spots, third and fourth. Knowing everything we know now, that this is the first five months in the post-Messi era, that all the injuries, that a new manager in Xavi who expect to be here for a while has come in. I think coming, I mean, this is again, just from Elche and Sevilla, but again, Xavi's only been in charge for a month, right? Just a little over a month, a month and a half, because he came in during the, the international break. So he's really only had a month of, of results and matches to look at. I would take it. I, I like I, As much as it's been doom and gloom, as much as the Champions League was embarrassing and it's Europa League, if Barcelona are not even fixed. There's nothing to fix. I mean, they lost Messi and they had, they lost Pedri and they lost Fati for a half a season. And so if Fati and Pedri can come back in some capacity and even Martin Brothway and yes, losing Aguero to retirement, even that, I put that on the list. It's not nothing. Retire, like Sergio Aguero, who's a legend of the game, retiring matters. And so for Barcelona to be in seventh, but only four points off fourth place. And at this point, what is it? Only five points off third place or six points, whatever, off third place, like, you take that. And I, I'm fine with that. Seventh place going into the new year. Barcelona, I expect, I do, and I think it's fair. It's not unrealistic to expect that they're going to be better in the second half. And as Mike Crimmins said, and I will reiterate this, and I'll, I'll take my own credit for it, that top four is the goal. Like, you know, Europa League trophy would be nice. Copa del Rey trophy, yes. But finish third or fourth in the Liga. That's what matters. Get the Champions League money. Get these big names or whatever when you can afford them to want to play Champions League football for FC Barcelona, and you're in good shape. And you get yourself out of the pit of despair. You know, it was I was frustrated because, I'm not going to say the name, but a big media outlet posted an hour after the match, not about the match, but about all of these negative things, including Bartomeu. An hour after a 1-1 Sevilla match when Barcelona were the better team, I don't need to hear the name Jose Bartomeu. I mean, that just means that you're looking for clicks. That's all that means. And so, I, I mean, I know that there's an instinct for people to, to get into the negativity and be like, oh, well, Barcelona, whatever. But th- that's an excuse. Barcelona were put in the complete darkness for six months. And the fact that they're in seventh place in the table, in I mean, it, it definitely in range of third and fourth in the Liga. Yes, they crashed out of the Champions League, but all they need to do is attract. I mean, this is a lot to ask, but yeah, they just they have to fix their finances and attract some big talent and they'll be back. And so like this six months was terrible, but you know, I go in with utmost optimism into 2022, honestly. Yeah. I, are you going to agree with me? I'm worried you're going to agree with me. (laughs) 
<laughs> Don't be worried. I mean, the thing is, this first half of the season has been surreal. Everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong for the most part. And we are right there for the Champions League spot. Sadly, the Europa, Europa League happened because of the, again, because of everything that could have gone wrong also went wrong in the group stage of the Champions League. So if I, I honestly, if, if Ansu comes back healthy, which we all hope he does, same with Pedri, if we're able to get Ferran Torres and Cavani during the, the, the transfer window, Dani Alves, I think is going to help a lot. Yeah, me too. Uh, when uh, January comes, this team, I, also, I, I keep saying this, if it, if it wasn't for injuries, we would be fighting for La Liga. I'm not saying we would have been number one right now, but we would be fighting right there with Real Madrid and Sevilla if it wasn't because of the injuries, even without Messi and Griezmann. If we have everybody back and there's no setbacks and whatnot, we're going to obviously qualify for the Champions League. And I think we could not to win the league. I, I think we just, because of what everything that happened, we dug a hole that it's too deep to come out of. But I, I can compare this to the to Laporta's first season under as Barcelona president, 2003-2004, when uh, Edgar Davids came in during the January transfer window. Barcelona, Ronaldinho was injured a lot during the first half of the season. Then Edgar Davids came in in January, and everything clicked, and they almost made a run for La Liga title. At the end, they didn't win the league, but they made a a run and could have won it at the end. So if we have everybody back, with it's, it's just people can't, I just think people, because I think people, especially like Madrid fans that went out, I've had this discussion that people now, because Ansu has been injured, think Vinicius is better than Ansu Fati. Vinicius is having an amazing season, amazing season. But Ansu Fati is way better than Vinicius. And people just seem to forget because he's been injured. He had uh, the meniscus tear. Then when he came back, he hasn't been fed. He's been injured for what, a month and a half, almost two months. People seem to forget how freaking good Ansu Fati is. And he's Barcelona's best player. So with him back, just him, I'm not even talking about Pedri, Ferran Torres, Cavani, Dani Alves. Just with Ansu Fati back, Barcelona are a hundred times better than what they are right now. And people need to comprehend just how good Ansu Fati is. And hopefully he stays healthy because he's going to be one of the best players of the next decade if he ends up staying healthy. So for the, the, the next, whatever, four, five, six months, if Ansu is back healthy, we're going to at least finish yeah. top three. Well, at I mean, least top three. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to not have... I mean, it's one thing to have a depleted squad, but it's another thing to not... Again, you've not had a single match this season where Pedri, Dembele, Memphis, and Fatih were all available. You know, and, and so that's important. It's important to say four of your top five attackers or whatever are healthy at the same time. That's it's important things to say. And again, I mean, Gabi has been a rev, I mean, a, a revelation. I mean, I knew he was good. You, I've been saying it for years that this kid's better than everyone in his, in his, in his group. He'll be in the first team eventually. So I can, I can at least pat myself on the back and say that I was on record for the last three years since he was like 14, 15 years old, since, uh, since I shouldn't be watching at the Hoover Bay level and making predictions when it gets dangerous, <laughs> but he was playing as a 14 year old in cadet all with a 16 year old. And he was a starter and he was their best player sometimes, but for him to go from that, like, I mean, even t- two years ago playing with Hoover Bay to be, I mean, 
I mean, he, he had a messy esque performance against Elche. And don't give me that poo-poo Elche stuff. I mean, Gabi was the best player, and he played as the interior and a false nine. He's playing multiple positions. <laughs> I mean, he was asked to be, like, when, when we praise Araujo because he's so good at center back, you have to get other center backs on the field, so he plays as right back because he's Barca's best option there. Same thing. <laughs> Gabi was forced as a left winger where he wasn't really comfortable because you had to have him on the field, and he's 17 years old. So I don't want to, for all the injuries and excuses we make, I mean, Gabi having this opportunity because Elas Moriba didn't renew and because Wijnaldum never came. Uh, and even because Griezmann and thank God, and even because Messi and Griezmann for you know were, were transferred out. If all those things led to Gabi getting a chance, with the exception of Messi having to be transferred out, and I mean, who knows about what that means in the long run? Yeah, I'm very careful on that. But but Gabi, it's just been a complete revelation. And if if Gabi hadn't even showed up, we would be constantly talking about Nico Gonzalez because that's how good Nico's been too. So there are so many positives I think to take from. And you know, we we try to be. I am no Sam Pre Positivo, so <laughs> shout out to those guys. But while I'm not always positive, you know, I I, I definitely. I'm going to be positive about the second half of the season. And especially under Xavi, who I, I'm going to be trusting until 2024, 2025. It's going to take a lot for me to, to poo-poo the belief that Barca can't win, uh, can't at least finish top four or top three in the league of this season. So Rafa, final word to you. Uh, and also remind everybody where they can check you out because you talk about Barca almost as much as I do. So uh, yeah, let, let's hear it. No, real quick about Gabi. I saw a tweet that was, I was laughing because I think it was so accurate that in a five minute span, from Gavi, you could see something Gattuso-esque and Iniesta-esque at the same time. <laughs> That's great. And I think that was a hilarious tip because it, it is true. And yeah, I, I, I just, I sign everything that you said about Gavi. I think he's freaking amazing. I think he'll be the next golden boy, whatever the Copa thing is. So we had Pedri this year. And I think Gavi will be the winner next year. Um, And for all the people that... We're hating on Luis Enrique for taking him with his Spain with Spain's national team. Who's laughing now? Luis Enrique was right. You guys were wrong. Oh, uh, yeah, my bad. Uh, yeah, you can go follow Mexico Podcast on YouTube. It's Spanish over there. We cover, obviously, Xavi's press conferences for the most part. We try to analyze. It's a little bit different format, more like a free-for-all with the chat live for good and bad at the same time. But it's in Spanish. If you know Spanish, go over YouTube, Mexico Podcast, subscribe. If you don't know Spanish, you can write on the chat as well. Uh, I'm bilingual, so I'll I'll answer as well. So you can learn a little bit of Spanish. But yeah, and then we're back on Twitch again, Mexican Podcast. But we're just going to play. It's a little bit different. We're just going to play FIFA and talk about Barcelona. So that's it. So whatever whatever you want to do, just go over to Twitch or Mexico or YouTube, Mexican Podcast, and uh, we'll be over there. All right. You can head in the show notes and hit either his name or you can check that out on YouTube. So that'll wrap up edition of our show uh, before the holiday break. So, I mean, yeah, I usually say thanks for listening, Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. We have one more YouTube video coming out. It's a Barcelona wish list. So I know, I know Juan Laporta and I, both with our strong belief in Santa Claus, are both writing our letters right now and sending them into the North Pole. So yeah, we want to wish everybody uh, happy holidays for those who don't celebrate, but a Merry Christmas to everyone else who does. So uh, Send thanks it to Norway. <laughs> all the Please. way yeah right i mean to uh was it uh, saint nick it now i'm not now so good but i didn't i mean they're, they're scandinavia was big on the creation of the santa claus myth but all right hey, anyway that's as long as it podcast. gets to norway we're good that's for another podcast that is for uh one of those history of the scandinavian players at fc barcelona where we're talking about hendrick larson but we've gone too long so thanks so much for listening to the barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon before it's barca
Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.